So if you felt like there was a lack of monsters in Nightmare Alley, Treasure Planet is chock-a-block with aliens and monsters and creatures and robots and all sorts of world building. One of them is just a uh, farting butt creature. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster on the West Coast, the best coast. Best coast, (laughs) yes, Uh, (laughs) except it's already fire season here. Really? Um, Yeah, Orange County had a really bad fire and there was like uh, a homeless encampment caught fire in San Diego today. Not going to be a good year for that, but you... Don't need to be as worried about that because you are recording uh, Cassidy Robinson, the host of this show, in an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Yes, although there was like fire in Colorado, which is the heart of the Rockies. That's true. Like a month ago or something. Uh, But we're not here to talk about fire. Today we're talking about Nightmare Alley, which was theatrically released uh, in December, but just hit HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So we're catching up with that Guillermo del Toro's new film, Nightmare Alley. For the streaming homework, you assigned Disney's Treasure Planet from 2001. Yes. And we, of course, we watched that on Disney+. Plus. We do have a little, some pre-review topics that need to be discussed. First of all, the yes. Oscar nominations dropped. Yeah, they did. They came out on Tuesday. This happens um, every year. I just, yeah. the Oscars. It's that time of the year. It's that thing. Yeah. You know, just get some snap reactions here. There's not, not a lot of surprises as far as I'm concerned. Um, it was a lot of the stuff that we kind of knew was being looked at. Uh, but let's start here with Best Picture. We're only going to talk about the, you know, the, the major awards, but, uh, start here at Best Picture, Belfast, Coda, don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Any big surprises like, here? Uh, so I feel like Belfast is that movie that they like snuck in, mm-hmm. you know, like right before the end of the year that nobody saw that is going to win a lot of awards. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, what the fuck is this Belfast movie? Right. Um, uh, I mean, I saw like a trailer for it. Yeah. It's uh, a new Kenneth Branagh. Uh, Coda, I'm not, I can't, I'm not really familiar with either. Um, Coda was, was on a lot of critics end of the year lists. It's on Apple Plus, which I am now subscribed to. So maybe I'll watch that before. The- oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of these are not surprises. Um, you know, I, good for Dune. Representing mm-hmm. hard sci-fi. Um, I hope it does really well. King Richard, Licorice Pizza. Uh, these were on our best of the year list. Don't look mm-hmm. up. Um, Power of the Dog was on mine. Actually, so was Don't Look Up. And I think that's the biggest surprise here because yeah, that, that movie was so maligned, um, critically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it made a bunch of money. Well, I, I don't know how money really works when it comes to streaming, Nobody but does. nobody does. 
but it got a lot of clicks and it got a lot of attention. And I guess there's no such thing as bad press, which it got a lot of. So I do. I, do, I, I am. And I'm half little, of the Academy is in the movie. That's true. Yeah, that doesn't hurt. Um, I'm a little bummed out after watching the tragedy of Macbeth last week that, mm-hmm. um, that that didn't get nominated for best picture. Um, but I, you know, I think a lot of people probably didn't see it till this year. Um, right. Uh, so I don't, I don't even know if actually, if that had a theatrical release in time, um, here's it a, okay. It wouldn't, it wouldn't qualify because it's a nominated for a few other things here. It had a small, um, theatrical release. Everything. There is one that is very, you might think is silly. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of hype kind of floating around that Marvel is, they're trying to push for some Oscars. Yeah. There was um, a little bit of a campaign behind Spider-Man. And, and a little home bit sweet of one behind Eternals, I guess, which that, well, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. That know. doesn't surprise me, but, uh, I don't know. I, you know, after Avatar was nominated for fucking best picture, I'm like, mm-hmm. why not? Why can't we, why can't we have Spider-Man? You know, I, I get it. I'm not even saying it should win, but I think it would have been fun if it had been nominated and, uh, you know, maybe would have, Got a little bit more attention on the Oscars Academy. Um, uh, you know, maybe. Um, yeah, I mean, the, it is nominated for a few, I think, uh, special effects awards, but, I uh, know. and, and it does deserve that kind of recognition, but I, I feel like populist movies, I feel like there's this like, oh, well, it'll get a seat, you know, a special effects nomination or it'll get a, sound mixing nomination or something but you know right. they never get any of the big nominations and right, I, that, I think the blockbusters are sort of ghettoized into the tech awards yeah yeah and i i you know i it just bums me out i wish we could we could break out of that every once in a while so mm-hmm. i am very excited for dune uh, i think that was the academy this year this that was their bone to the sort of the populist audience. They usually try and throw one or two movies that people actually saw in I know. in there. And I think they were they went with Dune on this one, which I think is deserving both yes, as, absolutely. as absolutely. a blockbuster and as, you know, one of the year's greatest movies. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I'm not particularly surprised by this big best picture no. list or, or even disappointed. I, you know, like I said, a lot of these were on our year end list. So. Yeah. It, it, it pretty much what I expected. Um, I've seen five and there's five I have not seen. I will probably try and see. I, I have zero interest in Belfast, but maybe I'll watch it. Um, I'm going to definitely try and see Coda. I should see him drive my car. Cause I got a lot of good, good praise as well. Yeah. I, I have a feeling Belfast is going to be that one that we're like, why the fuck is this winning everything? <laughs> okay. Uh, best director. And, you know, once upon a time, it used to mean because, you know, now there can be up to 11 or 12 best picture nominees. Yeah. So it used to mean that who was nominated for best director was a better gauge of who's really in contention for best picture. But since they expanded the academy to more yeah, they, they split uh, the vote a lot more yeah to more like um uh 
international uh, industry folk. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that anymore. But uh, for best director, we have Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, uh, Kenneth Branagh for the Belf- for Belfast, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog, and Raisuki Hamaguchi for Drive My Car, and Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. Again, I would have loved to see uh, Joel Cohen uh, in there. And yeah, I would have, I, I would to have see, too. Uh, I, I think the big snub here for me is uh, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Villeneuve for Dune. And um, a lot of people were decrying that on Twitter and on social media. And um, I, maybe I, you know, maybe they're waiting for Dune Part Two to come out to kind of depending on how well it does or how well it succeeds as yeah, they're they're pulling the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Where they give it to, they give it to return of the King as sort of the overall award for the whole event. Yeah. Um, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, I think, uh, Jane Campion has it. And actually I, I figure she's probably, uh, power of the dog is probably going to win best picture too. That's my prediction. Oh, interesting. Okay, I'm I'm not making any predictions because I'm always fucking horribly wrong. Um, <laughs> um, it, it's kind of a comeback for her. It's, she she was uh, not doing stuff for a little while, and this is a kind of you know a well regarded movie. I, I um, mean, I think uh, Campion for director makes sense. Also, you know, it's it's uh, unfortunately women are not nominated a whole lot, so. Um, and they're trying to get better at that. I mean, Chloe Zhao won yeah. last year, didn't she? Um, uh, yeah, um, the last three years are like a blur to me. So who even knows? But I, I believe she won Best Director and No Man Land won Best uh, Picture. So they are trying to get better about that. Um, uh, I would have said, you know, if you had asked me in like October, I would have said, oh, Paul Thomas Anderson has this in the bag because mm-hmm. he's, you know, so overdue at this point. But and when we go down here to to the actor and actress, neither of the leads of Licorice Pizza were nominated. And I feel like I haven't seen the movie. You have. I feel like that movie's all about the performances. So if none of the performances are recognized, how much did they really like it? Well, Yes and no. I think, um, I mean, I absolutely think, yes, both of them were snubbed. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they're both fantastic. I, I, I mean, I said it when I, when we did our top 10 of the year, I think that movie lives and dies off of their chemistry. Yeah. Um, and they're both fantastic. I think it might just be because they're new. They're, yeah. They don't really, they're new. Think- they're young. They don't feel like they've paid their dues yet. Yeah, which I think, you know, every once in a while they let, a, a, you know, kind of an unknown talent in. But it's um, usually for a supporting role. If they if they do that, they'll exactly. give it a supporting. But Which so, I, I think maybe if they had, um, maybe if they had campaigned for Cooper Hoffman for supporting actor, which would not have made sense. Um, uh, right. You know, perhaps he, he could have gotten something but um or or even alana haim yeah uh, they, again they were both great um but i i think it's just because they're they're kind of outside the hollywood system as of right now well i mean cooper hoffman was born literally into the the hollywood system <laughs> well, yes but 
And yeah. Alana Haim, you know, she's a, a musician, um, so she's in the industry of some sort. But yeah, I know what you mean. I just think they're the academy as a whole. It's like we'll wait till you see what else you guys do before mm-hmm. we start showering you with awards. Yeah. Um, but I do think that that the star has faded a little on Licorice Pizza. Yeah, I I think. Well, here we go. Best actress. I have not seen any of these movies. Um, and it seems like this yeah. is like the the biopic year. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Chastain for Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers, the new Almodovar film, um, which, funnily enough, was not nominated for foreign language, even though it got rave reviews and an Oscar nomination. Um, Nicole Kidman for Being the Ricardos, um, which I'm sorry, that doesn't look like a real movie to me. That looks like something that would be on 30 Rock as a joke. Trust me. Trust me. Uh. And Kristen Stewart um, in Spencer as Princess Diana, one of like five depictions of Princess Diana in the last two years. Oh, my God. Although everyone's saying this is uh, her best performance yet. Sure. Everybody's saying it's her best performance. Everybody's saying it's a really good movie. I I don't care, but uh, I also, um, I, I don't know. I've never seen her in anything where she's like seriously impressed me, but I'm open to Kristen Stewart. I don't, I don't, um, immediately have a, like an opinion, but I think, um, I'm willing to, you know, I, there's been times I've liked her and times I haven't. I mean, I, yes, I don't, I'm not like, Ooh, I mean, uh, Booker, she did Twilight. Like, come on, get over that. Uh, I, but I've just never seen her in anything where to me, she's anything but Kristen Stewart. So I don't know. Maybe I just haven't seen the right stuff with her. Yeah. Um, but so there's that. I, um, I, if I were a guessing man, I would say Kristen Stewart because I've heard the most, I've seen the most writing about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really don't know because I have not seen any of these movies. Um, for best actor, Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos. Uh, Benedict, roll. I know. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch for Power of the Dog. Okay. Uh, Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom. I'm very glad he got nominated for that. I mean, a lot of people thought he would, but I was uh, I was kind of unsure. He's because having a big comeback. He's yeah. having a, a moment. He was also in Eyes of Tammy Faye. Yeah, he is, um, he's hot right now. Will Smith for King Richard. And Denzel Washington for Tragedy of Macbeth. So other than Javier Bardem, this is a very competitive category. It is. It is. I mean. I think it's kind of anyone's game. I'm, I don't think Andrew Garfield's going to get it, but I'm glad he was nominated. I um, I think he might be a contender. I, I think don't count him out. I think he he's he might be a little bit of a shock. Dark Horse. I, I, I don't even. I'm not going to go that far. I think he's got a better shot than you think. Hmm. Um, because I would but, say it's either Will Smith mm-hmm. or Benedict Cumberbatch. It, de- it, it depends on how if, if Power of the Dog ends up sweeping, like I think it might. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, if it's a little bit more of a awards potpourri, which could be the case, then I'm going Will Smith. I or they might give it to Denzel just because they want to get a, a like acknowledge that movie in one way or another. 
That's true. Uh, I mean, Denzel does already have his Oscar for Training Day, right? Um, but he has a few, I think. Yeah. I, my my heart wants Denzel. Yeah. Um, or Andrew Garfield. Again, I'm always wrong, so bet against me. <laughs> Did you see Tick Tick Boom yet? Uh, <laughs> I saw like the first half of it. Okay, well, you need to finish it. I know, I know. Uh, It was Mm -hmm. a thing where Ashley started watching it, and I had a thing I had to do, so uh, I couldn't finish it, unfortunately. Okay, well, those are the, yeah, the top five. So, you know, if you want to go in and look at the rest of these nominations, you're more than welcome to. Not a lot of surprises for me. Uh, You know, some people said Lady Gaga should have been nominated for Best Actress. I don't necessarily think so. In my review, I called that a Golden Globe performance at best, but I was not as favorable to that movie as you were. I I think she was snubbed, I think, um, especially looking at the lineup and mm-hmm. how they're all movies I feel like kind of nobody saw. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I To me, I, I feel like there was a big snub. I thought she was great in the movie. I, I think she's the best part of that movie. House of Gucci. Yeah. Yes. I, I think um, it, it makes sense. It wasn't nominated for any other awards. Uh, but I do think, I think she's been snubbed uh, for both her really big uh, roles in House of Gucci and um, A Star is Born. Um, the Academy's bullshit. And don't put too, put too much stock into this. No. Because it's all an arbitrary system anyway. You know, that's all voted by the industry itself. So this is true. Okay. So before we get into the reviews, I want to cover a little bit of movie news because we've been letting it stack for a while. Yeah. And we don't have to spend a ton of time on each of these stories, but uh, let's see what what's what are the exciting ones. Um, Dakota Johnson has been cast as Madam Web for Sony Universe Marvel characters. So this is a Sony um, ancillary spider universe thing, but not necessarily connected to the MCU Spider-Man. Let's all get confused. Um, so, uh, okay. Sony is going nuts. Yeah. They need. And I feel like they did not learn the right re- lessons from uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Because that movie was a huge fucking hit. So even though all of their standalone, separate from the MCU stuff, kind of struggles to find its footing, you know, they have a big hit with Spider-Man. So they're like, hey, the Spider-Man universe is working. Right. Even though I would say it's more of a uh, product of the MCU than what they're doing. Oh, for sure. Nope. Yeah, I know that they have loose connections into the new Spider-Man movie, and so maybe they feel part ownership of its success. That's delusional. But uh, I do think the first Venom did pretty well, if I if I recall. I, I think both the Venoms have done all right. Um, I, I mean, we'll see how well Morbius does. I think that's going to be... The real test. The yeah, stress test. Um, because it is, it's not a big-name character... Um, it is a character that I don't think Morbius, the living vampire played by Jared fucking Leto (laughs) is going to have the draw of, you know, a a Tom Hardy venom. 
right? Um, because Venom is a is a huge character, a huge yeah. IP. He has a huge cult following. He already has a built in fan base. Uh, Tom Hardy, I feel like, has a bit more of a draw than Jared Leto. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's going to be their big test uh, to see how successful this sort of Spider Manless Sony universe is. Right. Uh, to me, this is madness. Um, well, Man of Web is even a less known character than Morbius. Yeah, and I mean, it it kind of makes sense with some of the multiversal stuff they set up in Spider-Man Far From Home, or no, Sp- Home, Spider-Man Homeless, Spider-Man yes. Homeward Bound, yes. um, Spider-Man <laughs> Home Alone, Lost in New York. Uh, you know, so I, I feel like uh, again, there's kind of a connection there that I could see making sense, but with Madam Web, or like, are they going to try to kind of do the same thing over again? I don't know. And I'm sorry, Dakota Johnson, um, much like Kristen Stewart, she might be a fine actress. I've never seen her in anything where she's particularly impressed me. Um, and she's way too young for the character. And so that tells me it'll be a re a reimagining of the character. For sure. You know, it'll definitely be some kind of origin story thing. I just, I don't, who needs this? Like if you want to do like, just do spider woman or, you know what I mean? Like actually Dakota Johnson is spider woman. is not the worst idea. No, that makes so much more sense. I, I, I like her. Okay. I liked her in, um, uh, bad times at the El Royale. I thought she was good in that. Oh, okay. That's true. She was, she was good enough in that. Um, yeah. Okay. Fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think her as spider woman, um, her, her as spider girl, her as silk, her as, uh, uh, spider Gwen, her as black cat. Like there's Mm. a bunch of female spider characters for her to play. I just, a Madam Web movie, like what is going on? Nobody wants this. Literally nobody wants this. Um, but they might go see it depending on. I, I think the thing is all these other characters that I just mentioned are probably tied up in Marvel rights somehow. Right. All right. Second story here. Daniel Radcliffe to play Weird Al Yankovic in biopic Weird, the, the Al Yankovic story. Um, and all I can think of is why isn't it not? What's the kid from Breaking Bad? Aaron Paul? Yeah, why is it not Aaron Paul? Why would it be Aaron Paul? Remember, they did that. They they made a trailer, like a fake trailer for Funny or Die, like fucking almost 10 years ago, when Funny or Die was a thing. And um, Aaron Paul played Weird Al, and uh, Patton Oswalt played Dr. Demento. I don't think I saw this. You definitely did. It was super viral at the time. But, um... And they made it look like it was this really gritty story of Weird Al, him having like all these prostitutes and, and uh, drug addiction and all this so stuff. We're making a funny. Yeah. I, I think it's fine. I don't know. I think, I mean, okay, your weird, uh, Aaron Paul aside aside. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a lot of fun. I think, uh, Daniel Radcliffe post Harry Potter is one of the funnest actors to watch 
because he only does stuff he cares about and it's always bonkers shit. It's always, yeah. I have devil horns growing out of my head. I have guns stapled to my hand. I'm a fucking dead body. Right. Uh, like I, I love it. I love that. He's just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing another Harry Potter, mate. I don't know why he's Australian, <laughs> but he is. Uh, I, yeah, I love, so I think, but that's is he fun. funny? I, I mean, I get that it, it, he's funny in those contexts because it's a, because it's Daniel Radcliffe and it's like stunt casting, but is he himself funny and can he carry a movie? I mean, he, he kind of carried like seven movies. Um, did he kind of like, I mean, he, yeah, yes, there's a lot more. <laughs> Harry Potter is a lot more going on, but I think he, he holds himself fine as like the main chosen boy lad or whatever. Um, right. No, I think this is fine. I think, um, I don't know. I, I'm into this. I, I think it's, it sounds like a goofball project um, that, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, it depends on how much weird Al is involved, but I think this sounds like a lot of fun. It sounds like something. I think you're being a grump about this and I don't kind of don't know why. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I mostly don't have an opinion. I think you, so you just want to be a contrarian right now. No, not really. I, I mean, I, I am genuinely curious to know if he can be funny and not just do, cause not only does he have to do a, a, a decent impression of Weird Al, mm-hmm. but he also has to be able to pull off you know, not just convincingly looking and talking like that person, but also like performing pull off him. performing as him and being funny as him. Yeah, and, and charismatic and yeah. I think I think Daniel Radcliffe now as an actor can can pull it off. I, I think he has been around enough. I think he's done enough we again weird passion projects that he is he has come into himself as an actor. Uh, you know, if this was his first project coming off of Harry Potter, I, I think I might be a little more skeptical like you, but, uh, I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be, I think Daniel Radcliffe might surprise you. All right. Last story. Bong Joon Ho has found his next project and it's a science fiction story. Uh, he's adapting Edward Ashton's upcoming novel, Mickey Seven, starring Robert Pattinson, um, who's expected to lead the film. I don't know anything about this, but, uh, I mean, you had me at Bong Joon-ho. Yeah, I don't know anything about the book either. But yeah, I, I mean... Saying plot details for the movie have not been confirmed, and it's not clear how closely Bong plans to stick to the source material. Ashen's book is scheduled for publish this month, February 2022. So, oh, so this book isn't even out yet? It looks like it got optioned almost right away. Oh, my God. Uh, I mean, great for the author. Um, yeah, good for that guy. Yeah, I mean, this isn't Bong Joon-ho's first adaptation, right? Because Snowpiercer was... Based on a comic, a French comic a, book, a I believe. novel, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think... Again, you had me at, at Bong Joon-ho. Um, yeah, I'll see anything he does. Um, and he's good at sci-fi. Um, yeah. He's good at political satire. 
Um, he's good at thrillers. He's pretty much good at everything. And now that he has an Oscar under his belt, it's not going to be like, you know, where he was really struggling to get funding together. I think totally. And I, you know, I think he's got a good leading man. I think Robert Pattinson, much like, uh, I, I think he is, uh, you know, he's got some heat under him right now with Batman. For sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think this is, this is probably going to be a big, a pretty big movie. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. Maybe you'll have to read Mickey seven. See if what's going on there. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I mean, you know, I'll probably check it out after I see the movie. Hmm. Okay. So that is the movie news. Let's go ahead and start getting into the reviews. And Keith, if you'd like to set up Nightmare Alley, what is happening in that movie? Okay, so this is adapted. This is a remake. Um, So this is adapted uh, from a an old, I'm assuming noir Mm -hmm. um, movie of the same name, Nightmare Alley, uh, uh, by Guillermo del Toro. Um, Bradley Cooper, who is, uh, you know, it starts. It's kind of one of those movies that kind of sprawls over several uh, decades. Um, it starts out with uh, Bradley Cooper as a young man who leaves his his home, uh, a small farm under mysterious, we'll, we'll put it lightly, mysterious circumstances, kind of adrift in the world, doesn't really have any money or a name or anything going on. And he finds himself as kind of a work for hire for this carnival. Where he comes across, um, Willem Dafoe as, as, uh, this geek wrangler, um, Ron Perlman as a carnival strongman, uh, David Strathairn and Tony Collette as, uh, you know, this couple kind of perf- putting on this psychic show. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's starting to learn the trade of, of, Carnival, you know, carnival barking, um, picking up stuff here and there. Uh, but he seems really interested in like this psychic show. Um, uh, he also meets young woman, uh, played by Rooney Mara as he's with this carnival and sort of learning all these tricks. He's learning showmanship. He's learning all the stuff and he starts to kind of apprentice, um, this psychic show. Uh, he starts learning what he can from David Strathane's character. After some time with the carnival, he runs off with Rooney Mara, um, to, you know, move on to bigger and better things, to put on his own show, uh, as a psychic and starts to develop a reputation for himself, uh, until, you know, he comes across, uh, Kate Blanchett's character, who's a psychologist. Who, you know, is trying to kind of de- decide if he's a phony or not to see if he should be working with, you know, some of this city's elite, like politicians and, and 1%. Does Bradley Cooper start to believe his own lies? Does he start to believe his own show? Tune in to find out. <laughs> right. Uh, so they, they kind of team up to sort of expand the grift. And, and yeah. that's sort of, I think that's sort of the crux of the story. It's, it's sort of a, a monkey paw type story where. Yeah. Like he, he has this, 
um, you know, this gift of, of reading people in like almost instantly being able to kind of like analyze somebody and read them for these psychic, uh, uh, predictions and, um, yeah. Uh, mentalism. Cold readings. Um, yeah. Was, cold readings. Well, we call it. What was that? What was that show? That ridiculously stupid show that was on TV for a while? The Mentalist? No, not a, not a, not a narrative show. It was like a talk show. Oh, where, crossing over. Yeah. With, with uh, something Edwards. Yeah. It, so if you ever watch that where he kind of goes around and he said, you know, picks up somebody out of the crowd and says, I'm hearing somebody with a name that starts with an M and then somebody says, Oh my God, that's me. And then from there, if you know anything about cold readings and how they work, you can generalize enough uh, that people will start to fill in the rest of the gaps for you. And then you can just yeah. kind of build upon that until you start to, you know, really uh, create a, uh, a fake psychological profile. Yeah, it's 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 basically a skill of very quickly being able to to make educated guesses about a person that Ooh. are vague but sound specific enough. Uh, that yeah, exactly that people start to give you, the, you know, they start to give the information themselves. And Willingly, it's just yeah. kind of a matter of of putting some pieces together and 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 uh, filling in like those that. gaps. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I do think it's interesting how this movie, like, really breaks down, it, you know, and I'm sure it is kind of a movie version of that. Um, but, you know, the way it breaks down, uh, some of the, some of their tricks, uh, it, it's sort of like the prestige mm -hmm. in that, you know, it kind of breaks down some of the, the magic, uh, in, in, I think some pretty interesting ways. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's, that stuff, you know, the movie, the movie takes its time. It's, it's two hours and a half. And I was a little trepidatious going into it because of that. Mm -hmm. And I also, you know, just off the top, before we get into the actual thing, the, the marketing did not help this movie. Um, no. Well, I, I didn't see any trailers for it because I, I, you know, I voluntarily try not to watch trailers if I don't have to. But just like the, the marketing materials, the way it was kind of being presented, I thought this was going to be kind of like a hokey gangster squad type movie. Okay. I thought it was just going to be like kind of slick and, and just sort of ephemeral. I did, I didn't know that this was going to be so character oriented as, as it is. Yeah. I, I think this is probably Guillermo del Toro's most human movie since, uh, the Devil's uh, Backbone. I think this is probably his most human movie since then, because it really, it, it is grounded in a way that, you know, and I think maybe some Guillermo del Toro fans might have been a little disappointed by this, because there's no, you know, there's no monsters, there's no um, ghosts, there, you know, and that's kind of what he's known for at this mm -hmm. point, uh, you know, with movies like Crimson Peak and uh pacific rim and you know yeah, the hellboy uh, movies labyrinth and, yeah yeah all of his stuff is you know very fantasy oriented and very uh dark fairy tale and all of that stuff i do think there's elements of that that still weave its way into this yes. it, it definitely there is a, a bit of a magic realist quality to the movie even if it's not delving headfirst into that genre yeah i mean it yes it's still 
feels like a Guillermo del Toro movie. And there absolutely is monsters in this movie, but it's the the human monster. Well, I mean, if you listen to any Guillermo del Toro interview, that is, you know, that's what he'll say in almost every, you know, he's like, the real monsters are not the monsters. Uh, It's always the humans. They're always the monsters. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, we see Cooper is this Carlisle guy, um, and he's getting suckered into a geek show. Yes. And we see this ravenous hobo, uh, devour a live chicken. Yeah. Um, it was literally like a person who they keep in a cage, drugged and starving. Right. Uh, uh, and, and desperate enough to where he'll eat a chicken live. Right. For an audience, night yeah. after night. And it's present, he, he shoots it and he presents it. Just like you would present one of his movie monsters. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and there's, you know, there's a lots of like little macabre things in, in the carnival, you know, like jars of pickled babies and cyclopses and, and it's all like for show, but it is all very much of the aesthetic of Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is in here. And then of course, when we get into the, the actual characters themselves, the monsters within reveal throughout this. This is, I think probably Guillermo del Toro's darkest film to date. Um, even more so than, you know, the ghost movies and the vampire movies and the Hellboy movies and all the stuff with the big creatures. This movie is pretty pessimistic overall about society. I think the messaging in here about, um, what is a grift and, and, and how, you know, the world of mentalism and cold readings is not too far off from the world of like Freudian psychology and what they were doing while, while you're on the couch and the world of like tent revivalist, uh, re- religion. It's all kind of the same thing. Everyone's working a hustle. Everyone's working a grift. And this is the 19, you know, starts in the thirties and goes into the end of the forties. Um, the thirties, of course, being the, the time of the great depression when a lot of these grifts, um, were coming into their own, including, uh, you know, freak show carnival stuff and that world, that kind of like lurid exploitation world. And then tent revivalists and, and Freudian psychology, all of those things came at the same time during the depression or rose to popularity during that time. And I think the movie's making the argument that it's all the same thing, that it's all about knowing how to read your mark and taking advantage of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the movie, it doesn't go into a lot to like um, what you're talking about with like, you know, big tent revival like christianity there's there's a religion kind of plays a a quieter backdrop throughout yeah, this i mean it comes up there's references to it and allusions to it um and i don't think you're off base um in that but it, i wouldn't say that's like a big focus of it but yes it's definitely with like psychology and and what you're saying about it all kind of being a griff is for sure um, specifically Freudian psychology. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to like come off as like Mr. Scientology, never go see a psychologist guy, 
Well, I mean, uh, the field of psychology has come a long way since Freud, too. Yeah, and there are certain concepts that come from Freud and Jung that still are part of the overall psychological text that people use today, but it's he draws these comparisons in this old, stylish, film noir sort of way, mm-hmm. but I think that he's very much talking about what's going on now with the how... um you know, yes, there's all these different types of grifters going on, and there's lots of different types of uh, marks to be made, but they're only as effective as the mark. It's only effective because the mark wants to be read. Yes. You have yeah. to sort of willingly give yourself into it for it to work. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't disagree with anything you're saying here. I just, I want to be you know, kind of careful what we're talking about with the psychology side of things. But, but yes, as uh, it is presented here in the film. Yes. And I I mean, this movie, you know, this movie, I think makes the case of like you're saying, it's all, it's all just kind of the stuff we find to get through the day. Right. Uh, Cause I think he also makes a similar comparison with, uh, you know, alcohol abuse and substance abuse. Like, Mm -hmm the geek in the cage isn't any different than, than the mark at the mentalist show. They're they're all just being used. Like we're all just using each other all the time. It's a, it's a cycle of exploitation that kind of happens all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's like a, a decent Marxist analogy you can make for the whole film. Yeah. I, I, I liked this. If you can't tell, I like this movie quite a bit. Um, I was kind of bowled over by it, especially by the end of it. Um, not only because of all of the interesting subtext and context of the movie, but also it looks so damn good. Yeah. This is a, this is a movie. beautiful film, it beautiful is. art direction, costuming. Um, well, and, and also I think this was a really this was a really cool movie to see from Guillermo del Toro because, and I love Guillermo del Toro. I, I haven't seen a movie of his that I've hated yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly like some more than others, but I think what really impressed me about this movie, uh, is how character driven it is. Yes. Because I do think he has a tendency, you know, he definitely likes dark fairy tales and he definitely likes fables and, and horror movies and, and Sometimes his characters can re- they they can be a little stock. They can be you right. know usually on the weaker end of his spectrum. The the characters can feel a little thin. They can sometimes just be placeholders or or very archetypal. Um, I don't think that's necessarily always a bad thing, but it was really cool to see him do something that is so character focused. Even though right, which is-, is interesting because the the subject matter and I think the overall tone of the film is dark. Uh, it is only as dark as it can be and as pessimistic as it can as it as it can be because there's a heart there. It's yes. a heart that's broken, yeah. but it's a heart nonetheless. Yeah, I I agree completely. Um, I mean, he also has fucking the a list of such an ensemble of character actors and yeah. uh just you know a stacked cast bradley mm-hmm. cooper kate blanchett tony collette willem dafoe richard jenkins 
Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, Mary Steenberg, and David Strathairn. Like, and some of those are just side characters. Like, come on. Right. But what's, what's impressive, and I think he uses the runtime really well, um, is that all of those characters, even if they're only on screen for a couple minutes, they mm-hmm. make, you know, they, they make an impact on the, on the story and they have a function in the story. Yeah. They don't feel like, Oh, well, you know, uh, Ron Perlman was good, but he was only there for five minutes. I don't know. I guess he just had to be in there because he's Guillermo del Toro's friend. It doesn't come off like that. He feels no, very yeah, much he, a part of this world. Exactly. They all inform each other and, and they all get their own, you know, respective moments to shine. Right. Um, and I mean, we should, t- we, we mentioned that this film is a remake. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of narrative help here. Maybe picking up the slack that that would normally be there if it was a, you know, conceived from the mind of the Guillermo del Toro. Um, the fact that it is a remake based on a novel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. There, there might be a, you know, there, I, yeah, with the novelization, there's, I'm sure yeah. a little more backstory. And it, um, and the movie was also co-written by his now wife, which I just found out, uh, that this was the case, but, um, yeah. his wife, Kim Morgan, who is a, film critic and film historian. Oh, I'm well aware of her because she's, um, she's sort of the, uh, the like cool punk rocker film critic who like talks about exploitation films and talks about like, you know, pre-code era, you I mean, know, kind of like us, right? <laughs> right. Just like cool us. Cool and punk rock. So cool. DIY. Um, <laughs> she's, I mean, that's kind of this, this kind of stuff is her bread and butter. Sure. Like, you know, yeah. she, I mean, I'm I've sure seen her that, on lots of documentaries about Grindhouse and stuff like that. I'm sure that, uh, definitely did not hurt the script. Right. So, yeah, I, I think overall, I came away with this movie very positively. Is there anything else you wanted to add? The Something we haven't thing, covered yet? The only detraction I want to really <laughs> okay. give, uh, because I, and, and I don't know, maybe this is just me. I, this might be a just me problem. I did think the ending was a little predictable. I, I do think this movie kind of telegraphs its shots a lot, uh, to, to where some of the things that some of the plot stuff I think isn't, uh, doesn't have the, maybe the impact or the, the twist or the, you know, the, the, oh shit kind of, you know what I mean? Like, that's the there only were a couple th- oh shit moments in this movie. Yeah, I mean there are, but I I saw them coming from a mile away. Really? It, there was I mean it, I, I'm thinking of two or three moments towards the third act where I was genuinely shocked. Not because like I it wasn't in the realm of possibility, but I was I was like, whoa, okay. Like because the movie was kind of like sort of leisurely paced and it was kind of uh-huh. going through the motions. And then there's these, you know, these moments of extreme violence. Yes. Well, that, th- yes, I will say that was kind of the only thing that did catch me off guard. And, and I think it's, it's similar to the way violence is in Pan's Labyrinth and that like, yeah, when it happens, it is so brutal and visceral that it's impactful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that it, Yes, I will say I, you know, you feel that, but I, I mean, like the story twists. Uh, I saw them all coming from my way. Maybe it's just because yeah. this is a genre I'm very familiar with. 
Right. It, it, it is a noir. So, I mean, as soon as Kate Blanchett is, is on screen, she's vamping it up like yeah. crazy. She she's femme fatale. Exactly. You know, she's and no she's good great at it. She's, yeah. but, and here's the thing. I, in this case, uh, in the case of this movie, I would rather trade plot for character. And mm-hmm. I, I, you know, in general, I would rather trade plot for character. And I do think this movie, uh, it makes that work. It, it was just kind of a little, uh, a little bit of a, um, at the very end, I was like, Oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I, I, I knew what the end scene would be. Yeah. I, I do think, I do minutes. think that is telegraphed, but I, I also am not mad at that either. I think I, what no, I like I'm, about, I'm not mad at it either. I'm just saying, I don't know. I, I, I'm not mad at it because I did really like this movie. Um, I like the way that the movie sort of unfolds. It's, yeah. it, it, it takes the time to tell its story. It, it takes the time and, you know, unlike a lot of movies that are two and a half hours long, I, the, the movie unfolds the way it unfolds. Like it, it, it's always moving. It's always mm-hmm. doing something new. It's not boring. So I think it earns its runtime. For sure. Yeah. I mean, some people might say that the, the carnival stuff is maybe dragged out a bit too long. Um, it's kind of an extended first act, but I actually think all of that stuff informs the rest of it. Okay. And you have, yeah, I think you have to be there with that character because it's, it's basically about him selling his soul. Yeah. It's, and, it, it's about, yeah, him growing up and, and yeah, selling his soul. I mean, you know, it's not an accident that kind of the first night he's at the carnival, he walks through a giant devil's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I would say. It's like this movie, it is predictable, I guess, in a genre way. But to me, it's predictable in a like Sunset Boulevard sort of way. Like, you know how it's going to end because they tell you at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's predictable in like a, a Shawshank Redemption kind of way. It's yeah. in the title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. I mean, it is literally in the title. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, it's, it's not, uh, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. Absolutely. I mean, I, yes, I do agree with you. I just, I, and, and I think that that ending, even though we knew it was coming, was still, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was it the ironic, uh, uh, Greek tragedy, mm-hmm. you know, ending that the story needed. Mm-hmm. So yes, I recommend this movie. I'm giving it an A minus. And the only, I think the only reason I would detract is, Towards the third act, um, the pacing picks up so like so fast that there's a little bit of like, whoa, okay, what? Like, okay, we're doing this. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. And then it kind of like, like once it starts to pick up for like on and pay off all of those plot points, they come bam, 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 bam. Um, not that I'm asking that the movie needs to be any longer than it is, but maybe. Maybe just kind of shifting the runtime a little here or there. But yeah, I mean, overall, I think this is, this is stellar stuff and I, I greatly enjoyed it. And I think it's going to be overlooked and already kind of has been. I don't think it did particularly well in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously Omicron and everything played into that, but I think this is one of those movies where 
five, ten years from now, people are going to be like, oh, actually, that was a really fucking cool movie, and it got buried. I I kind of agree with you, and I I do I am glad this movie did get uh, nominated. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a surprise, I think, because like you said, I think it was a little. Um, uh, I think I agree; it'll be kind of overlooked. Uh, and also, you know, Guillermo del Toro just won really big not that long ago with Shape of Water. You know what? Um, I don't know if this is controversial to say. I think it's a better movie. Than Shape I of the Water. completely agree. I I mean I like Shape of Water. Maybe but- this is just more my vibe, but I yeah, and I like Shape of Water for what it was. But I think this movie is a little bit more challenging and a little more prickly and a little bit more interesting. Yeah, and and I think just some of the character stuff uh, uh, pays mm. off a little bit more. In oh this. yeah, just watching like Tony Collette, you know, just be fucking amazing for like 17 minutes is, is enough for me or, you know, watching, uh, Willem Dafoe. Oh my God. Watching com- Willem Dafoe explain how to break a geek over steak and eggs. I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. He's, he's pretty much uh, re- uh, reprising his role from, uh, from, uh, wild at heart. Um, the, the Lynch movie he was in. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's, he's a complete, like disgusting human being in this, but still in like weirdly lovable. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's also kind of the, the time uh, mm-hmm. that they came from, uh, which yes. And no, I mean, uh, I, I do agree with you that he, the Kimmel del Toro would say that nothing has really changed since then. No. Um, and there's also, and I think this is part of the heart of the movie um, is there is sort of an underlying subtext here also about, chosen families and you know finding your 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 geeks finding your your freak squad yeah i mean for sure i i I mean uh yeah and and i think you see that you know with rooney mara you know she she she's she's the moral uh, uh, the moral center yeah yeah she wants this family she she keeps those connections Bradley Cooper doesn't, and he, you know, he's punished for it. He's punished for being selfish and right. prideful and all all of the sins. Uh, uh, yeah, no, I give this movie an A. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it is, it definitely stands up in Guillermo del Toro's filmography, and as sad as I was that there wasn't a, a huge prosthetic in, insanely uh, uh, intricately designed creature design. Uh, like you said, the monsters are still there. Very much so. Uh, don't miss this one. If you were if you were sleeping on it because it just didn't look interesting, it's much better than advertised. I think this is this might be controversial. I think this is probably his best since Pan's Labyrinth. I think there's a good argument for that. I don't think I don't think you're necessarily wrong. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the streaming homework, which you assigned, and that was Disney's Treasure Planet. So if you were felt like there was a lack of monsters in Nightmare Alley, (laughs) Treasure Planet is chock-a-block with aliens and monsters and creatures and robots and all sorts of world building. One of them is just a a farting butt creature. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so this came out in 2002 actually 
Um, and we yeah, talked this about is part of our Disney blind spot. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, you know, for me, it was between this and Atlantis. It was kind of arbitrary which one I chose. Mm-hmm. And I had seen Atlantis before. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. They, I think I watched that in like ninth grade math class. Like there was one of those like end of the year. We don't have a lesson plan. So here's a VHS of Atlantis. Well, I'm glad I picked this one then. I am too. I might have murdered you. <laughs> so uh, this film is a sci-fi fantasy. Of, it takes place in a universe in which sort of old maritime piratey type stuff exists alongside sort of cyberpunk technology and sci-fi space opera. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of like cyberpunk meets steampunk meets Star Wars meets Treasure Island. Yes, very much so. And we have a young guy named Jim Hawkins, who's voiced by jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I had to um, look it up halfway through because it was killing me who the <laughs> voice of Jim Hawkins was. Because it, it, it's still like it was still young Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh-huh. So his voice... Just it sounds a little different. Yeah. But yeah. it was like familiar enough that I was like, who the fuck is that? He's this he's coming right off of Ten Things I Hate About You here. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, he, he voices the lead character, his mother, uh Sarah Hawkins is voiced by Laurie Met- Metcalf. And they run a like restaurant in this uh galaxy uh shipping dock that you know different uh pirates and sailors and stuff come through and he's heard about this legend of a treasure planet for years and years it was you know read to him as a kid is just like a fairy tale but he chose to believe it and when one night when he's helping an old pirate uh, and the the pirate passes away he is holding on to a golden orb that is also a map that shows him the directions to treasure planet he along with the help of dr doppler voiced by david hyde pierce go on this adventure to find the treasure and help rebuild their restaurant and they find out that the crew that they had hired uh you know a crew of different um helping hands most of which are actually planning a mutiny and plan to steal the treasure out from under them halfway through the mission. Um, and I believe, yeah, Emma Thompson plays their captain, who is actually on their side. Uh, captain Amelia, a like cat pirate lady. Later on, there's a robot played by Martin Short, who is doing like a, a big Robin Williams genie style character, probably too late in the film to introduce such a character. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did think that was a little jarring. I was like, <laughs> well, I'm in the movie now. Woo. We're introducing a goofy robot sidekick now. Yeah. We already have like 17, uh, comedic reliefs. Here's another one. And yeah. So, you know, it, it's basically a treasure hunting story. It's literally treasure island. Yeah. Like if if you're familiar with that story, it is Treasure Island. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it follows all of those beats. You have Long John Silver, you have Billy Bones, uh, Jim Hawkins. Like you you have it all there. Uh, Mister Arrow, you know Mutiny, P- 
pirates, swashbuckling, um, found family, heart, all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, having seen Atlantis and was like kind of whatever about it and knowing that this movie didn't really make a lot of waves either, I wasn't like particularly excited about it. I was actually more entertained by this movie than I thought I would be. Um, I'm not going to say that it's like an instant Disney classic. I mean, clearly uh, it's, it's not because it's, it's right. Or even in like one of their most obscure in their, in their later canon. Sort of. Yeah. And, and or even like, you know, an undeserved, a hidden gem. Um, but I do think that it's better than people might remember. Um, my only beef with it is there's just a lot of goddamn characters and they not a lot of them really know what they're doing in the movie or really have a place in the story. Um, so well, they end I, up just so, kind of being background noise for most of the movie. Yeah, I think, I mean, I definitely think this movie benefits from its source material. I mean, yeah. Treasure Island is a, is a classic movie uh, and it works. And the idea of Disney adapting it as sort of this, you know, futurist, swashbuckling sci-fi space opera makes a lot of sense with the kind of adaptations they were doing at the time, you know, like adapting classic fairy tales and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think they thought that this movie was kind of a safe move. And I, again, I just, I think the plot holds up the story elements hold up. Uh, mm -hmm. If you can get, the relationship between Long John Silver and Jim Hawkins and make that feel natural and earned, uh, then the story works. You know, if you can't get that, then, then we have some, some serious problems to talk about. Uh, but you know, I think in this case, the Jim Hawkins is just kind of a angry young man who wants to, to find himself in the world. And, uh, Long John Silver is this, you know, mentor, father figure. Uh, cyborg. I, yeah. yeah. Cyborg, uh, works, uh, uh, more than it doesn't. I think my biggest criticism of this movie, and it's not even a criticism. This is good. This is going to sound weird, but, um, it doesn't really feel like a Disney movie. Uh, the, the animation doesn't, look like Disney animation. This looks more like the kind of stuff that Fox was doing at the time with, um, like Anastasia, Anastasia. Yeah, yeah. and, uh, uh, Titan AE mm -hmm. and, and, you know, they, they were kind of trying to be, I don't know, more adult children's entertainment. It's very weird. It's a weird time for animation. Yeah. Um, it, was a, it was an awkward place for sure. And so it, it, feels in a way like like this production is trying to compete with those movies um with that style and i don't know that it necessarily needed to but yeah i mean i yeah i like the you know sort of what we get mm -hmm. um i don't know it, but it, it, do you know what i mean like the vibe just felt a little off yeah i mean it doesn't it doesn't have that classic 90s era uh disney fantasy vibe um even like some of the stuff that only was a couple years before this like mulan and and hercules 
which were tonally different. Um, and they were, they were going for some different stuff there. Mm -hmm. Um, those movies still kind of found a pocket, whereas this movie is a little bit more messy on a genre level. Yeah. And and I mean, it, it it might be a little over ambitious as far as the world building goes. Yeah. Um, There's a bunch of like weird dialogue. Like we're referencing these weird things that don't exist. And, and to a certain extent, you can do that. Um, I would also say that the, you know, the character of Jim as, as portrayed and written, I don't know. He's, he, he's no Ariel. He's no Aladdin. Like, you know, it, it, the, he doesn't have a ton of personality other than angst. Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I mean when I say it kind of feels off in that way. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it feels like, like it, it felt like they were trying to keep up with the trends of animation versus setting the trends. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of, I kind of get what you're saying there. I was thinking of Titan A a lot, which I think is a more successful version of this. Um, also the, yeah, it's just some weird choices like random goo goo doll breaks in the, yeah, in the middle of the yeah, movie. I, I think that's another thing that is is odd about this movie is, you know, even the Disney movies that aren't musicals yeah, uh, tend to have that, I don't know, iconic score or, I, you know what I mean? Like, right. uh, but but yeah, this is just like, there's a weird uh, uh, Goo Goo Dolls music video in the middle. Yeah, just a little movie. montage with some GGD going on in the background which i remember that song <laughs> that was it was kind of a big hit i was it i, I mean i knew it was them because it's hard to mistake I, I think this was actually just um an album cut uh no uh what's his name not resner resnick johnny resnick yeah. yeah i think it was a solo thing he did sure yeah it um it dates the movie for sure. Yeah. Um, and it also, well, there's other stuff too, like him, like Jim Hawkins, uh, his like special gift is he can like, uh, uh, surfboard. Yeah. He likes surf. I mean, well, wakeboard, I guess the physics of the sci-fi world makes zero sense to me. I don't understand how anyone's breathing or doing it or like, they can just like fly through stars and so, not burn alive. Did, did I mean, you ever, did you ever have a moment when you were watching this movie where you yeah. thought, why didn't they just do treasure Island? Like, like they clearly wanted it to be piratey. Yeah. Cause it's very piratey. Sure. Um, and I'm like, why not just do a straight animated, animated treasure, Island. treasure Island? Like if, you know, if anyone can pull that off, it's Disney. They obviously wanted that those piratey elements to be at the forefront because all the spaceship design is like designed to look like, you know, galleon ships and and uh, that kind of thing with like sun sails. I, I, I think that's again kind of another thing that I'm talking about when it feels oh sci-fi is big right now. Let's make it a sci-fi version of Treasure Island. When I feel like it might have been better if they had just done Treasure Island. Yeah, I think it probably would have. Um, again, like yeah, the world building seems a little muddled 
at times, and, and like and especially, it feels a little, a little lazy. I yeah, I mean, like, well, there's a how many creatures is you, you know that one sketch that uh, Key and Peel did the um, the Gremlins two sketch <laughs> where uh, yeah. Hollywood Montrose comes in and has everybody design their own Gremlin. That's mm-hmm. how I felt like they did the character designs for this movie because it just felt like every animator gets to create their own alien. A little bit. Um, because because it, none like, of them really look like they should exist in the same world. Yeah. It, there, it only it, There's only, like, one human, and that's Jim. Right. And I guess kind of the cyborg guy. Uh, and, of course, his mother. But No, yeah. I think the cyborg guy, I think he's an alien. Is he? I think he's just ugly. <laughs> no, because um, he, he kind of has a dog face. Well, certainly the David Hyde Pierce character had a dog. Yeah, he's, he's, he's like, like, like a, a dog. Bull. Person, He's a dog boy, yeah, yeah. I and that's what I mean. And then, like, one person's just like a Pokemon Ditto, and then another person is like a squid thing, and another person's a spider. And it, it there's like no, um, it, it feels connectivity. like there's no grounding thing, right? right. Like, other it, than it, everybody has a pirate hat on, that's that the only thing that unifies all these looks. Going back to this, just should have been a pirate movie. I, I I kind of agree, yeah. I mean, I think what got me through and what I think I ended up being like, oh, that was better than I thought it would be. Um, I mean, granted, my expectations were very low. But also, I think it got the story just, like you said, it's sort of indestructible. Like, it, it just works. Yeah. So... Well, it, I, it does it, all the stuff that matters well. It just I, and I didn't hate this. I didn't think it was terrible by any means. I just there were just a bunch of like confounding choices mm-hmm. uh, that that I think make it feel a little less focused and polished than it it could have or should have. Uh, you know, right? Well, I like think it, it's that old like animation thing, right? Where when they're trying to really kind of break down a character mm-hmm. you should be able to hand a kid a blank piece of paper and a crayon and say draw snoopy and sure. it's not going to look like good enough to publish in the paper but you'll know that it's snoopy when by when they're done because the character design is so worked out there i don't i don't think you could hand a piece of paper to this kid and tell them to draw any of these characters because they're just like design wise a little mishmashy and a little um, over-designed and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, like, the robot guy and the little, like, blob critter, but, like, the the captain or looks Any really of the pirates. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, the ships, everything is, like, is... And, you know, this this was also a time when, like, CGI was being integrated into 2D animation in, in sometimes not the most flattering ways. Yeah, I think for the most part, that stuff worked more than it like more than i kind of thought it might right. um, but you know when it's cgi and when it's not sure yeah it's not it's not a seamless blend no it, it's not and um but i i don't think it necessarily looks bad um but yeah it's just it's just kind of a weird movie i don't know it is a, a little bit yeah i um like i said if you i think if you watch this it's it goes down pretty easy. It's entertaining yeah. enough, um, but you'll instantly realize why it didn't really pick up steam or really 
outlast its moment. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wish it had just been pirates. Just like, straight up pirates. Well, yeah, you know, like, I, I it wouldn't be, like, I, well, I think it's the same year that live action, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean came out or the next year or something. Oh, well, that, maybe that, I mean, that might have factored into that decision. I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe, the, you know, uh, they got their audience scores back and the people said, love the pirates, ditch the robots and aliens. They're like, let's just make a movie out of Pirates of the Caribbean. Then, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean came out uh, the next year. So, yeah, you know, I mean, animation takes a long time, so it would have been in development for. Oh, I'm years. sure this and Atlantis um, were being developed probably simultaneously. Yeah, because um, the one came right after the other, and they were both pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's fine. I think it's. It's not a terrible adaptation, but I it just I feel like had it had a few tweaks, it, it actually could have been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It just wasn't fully cooked yet before they released into the world. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, the next time we do an episode together, which we are still ironing that out because you are doing uh, production in. Yeah, I can, I can announce this if anyone in San Diego listens to this podcast. Sure, uh, go ahead. I'm doing a production of uh, Murder on the Orient Express at Coronado Playhouse. Um, uh, we are in the thick of rehearsals right now, and and our uh, rehearsal schedule is just getting a little bit um, a little bit busier and busier. Uh, and yeah, that goes up. I believe uh, our first show is March eighteenth. Um, and it's, it's every weekend after for a month. Um, so if you're interested, go to Coronado Playhouse and check that out, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And so between now and then, um, you know, we're going to be probably bringing on some guests to fill in for Keith, but, uh, while he's rehearsing. So it might be a little while, but the next movie we're going to, we, us two are going to review together for the streaming homework is the film Vox Lux which was recommended to us by a listener in one of our um, polls we did online. And neither of us had seen it before. This is like a Natalie Portman thing that came out a few years ago. So we'll be talking about that movie sometime in the near future. Um, but until then, if anybody has anything to say about any of the things we talked about in this episode or previous, you can email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media at Twitter and Instagram at MacGuffinPod. Um, you can also uh, give us a star rating and a one sentence review on whatever podcatcher you use to listen to us on, whether it be Spotify or iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Player.fm, uh, Pocket Casts, or Google Podcasts. Be sure to read. The other reviews and articles by the rest of the MacGuffin staff by visiting MacGuff.in. That is also where the uh, podcast ar archives are. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they do a lot of work over there and they're covering a lot of these like festivals that are coming through the Seattle area. And, and also I think they just did a bunch of stuff for the Toronto Film Festival. So if you want to read, I mean, they had their Nightmare Alley review up back in December. And if uh, you want to follow me on social media individually, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BC Cassidy. 
can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, you can also follow my art account on Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Uh, and that is the episode. Step right up and behold one of the unexplained mysteries of the universe. Is he a man or beast? This creature has been examined by the foremost scientists and pronounced unequivocally a man. Bye.